today, I, I once again want to welcome all of those at all of our campuses, but I want those of you at Battle Creek, if you would, put your hands together and welcome those at Owasso uh, this morning. Uh, to Michael Schaefer and your team, we say great job uh, for getting this thing off the ground. It's been a year in the making, and uh, we, we know that God will bless that. Today, uh, we are continuing our series called Blessings, and uh, I, I just kind of want to just back up and get us up to speed. If you haven't been with us, I want to kind of catch you up of where we've been and what we've covered so far. This is one of those series where it's important that you get each of the building blocks uh, as we go. And so if you miss one, I want you to go back online and watch it and, and interact with the message so that you can catch all that we've talked about. And, and I want to begin by giving you the definition of a blessing. And if you don't know this, you haven't memorized it, it's not already a part of your vernacular or part of your vocabulary, then I want you to write it down again. And, and I want you to get it to the degree that you understand this, you know this, and, and you comprehend what a blessing is. The definition of a blessing that I gave you in, in week one is using words and actions to draw out a person's identity in Jesus Christ, using words and actions to go get it, to pull it out. It's already there. You didn't make it. You didn't create it. You're simply drawing it out into the present. And the question that, you know, that begs is, well, who do I bless? And, and we said primarily you bless your children. That's the way that God intended for this thing to work. And so this is primarily a parenting series, and primarily it is for you uh, to learn how to create a spiritual environment in your home for your children to experience God in, for them to learn how to hear the very voice of God and, and to respond to the voice of God. Uh, but the series is, is not just about your children. It's about blessing others. You can bless anyone you have influence over uh, in life. If you're a teacher or a coach or a manager of some extent or the other, you, you, who is it that depends on a blessing from you? In fact, this week, last Sunday afternoon, I got a, a message. In fact, most people... Uh, when they send me a message of encouragement, it is, it's prefaced with, we know you get these all the time. I would just say to you, we don't. And uh, uh, a half a dozen, a quarter, uh, they, they come in. And so the thousands of you that God prompted to encourage your pastor, to encourage the staff, you should do it. Uh, because the ones that we do get are from crazy people. And uh, they are the ones that seem to have the time to sit down and write a note. Uh, but, but those of us that hear from God ought to be the ones who, who write the note. But this was one of those uh, encouraging ones. It said, I just want to share this with you. My heart was encouraged this morning by the message. I do not have kids, and I am not married. At first thought, this series would not be for me because I'm not a parent. This could not be more opposite. I'm a sixth-grade teacher. And even though I'm not a parent, I do have 55 sixth-grade young men and women in my classes. My main job as being their teacher is not just to teach them the curriculum, but to teach them that they were made to do great things and that they are dearly loved. I have students from all walks of life that had a, have had a really rough go of it, students who have been through things now in their short life that they should have never seen. One thing in my class that I hope and try to do every day is to welcome them by name, to ask them how they are, to learn new things about them through building a relationship with them. The words I use uh, with them, it's a literally a game changer. Ephesians 4.29 is huge. May I always build them up, whether in their writing, their actions, or uh, that they would remember to wear deodorant. It's a big deal, right? It may not, I may not be their mom, but my job is important as their teacher to build them up, love them, and meet them where they are. Let them know that they were made to do more than they could ever imagine and more than perhaps the people in their lives have told them to do. 
I do struggle with this at times, and man, grace upon grace floods and reminds me to extend grace to them, even when they expect less of themselves by doing poopy things, right? May I always be able to pour into them, remind them of their destiny, and they were made to do great things. So I'm not a parent, but this series is for me. And, and she goes on, would you just thank uh, all those school teachers in our churches today and uh, who get it? That's a public school teacher, by the way, and, and we just pray that uh, it would go. So it's not just a parenting series, right? It's a blessing series. And, and we, we've been putting this blessing together piece by piece by piece. And so let me just review the couple of pieces we've covered already. In week one, we talked about meaningful touch. And we said that we need meaningful contact uh, w- with our children. And when those that we bless, and, and for those that are not our children, we focused in on being present. And I, I gave you the phrase of give me the present, of being present in the present, right? And, and, and so we, we want to present present our presence and be present in every part of our lives, not just the shell of our body there, but who we really are being present so that we can touch people's lives. Then secondly, we talked about spoken words, and we said a blessing is not really a blessing until it has been spoken. And with our mouths, we hold the power of life and death. With our mouths, we hold the power of blessing and curse, so we need to be careful watching and catching each word that flows uh, from our mouths. And today, uh, we're going to start talking about what you say. And really, we're going to build on this next week, but we're going to introduce it today. And and what are the words you speak when you speak a blessing? And and the first thing that I want you to write down is affirm their incredible value. I, I want you to write that down because that's part of the blessing is that you and I, as we bless others, would affirm the incredible value that they have. Next week, we're going to talk about seeing a special future Uh, for them. And these two will go hand in hand and build the actual verbal blessing. And so we've been looking at and kind of walking through Genesis 27. It's the story where uh, Jacob uh, is being blessed by his father, Isaac. And if you read the story, you you know the story. There's some nuances to it that we could spend a whole series on each little nuance of it, that Jacob actually stole the blessing from his brother Esau, his older brother, right? He stole the blessing. And earlier in the story, he holds him up first for his birthright, and and then later he steals the blessing from him, and and then he runs, right? Because Esau is bigger and tougher and meaner than him. But that's a whole other series and a whole other lesson. And today, we're going to look at how Isaac used his words to bless his son Jacob. Isaac was getting old. He, he couldn't walk. He couldn't see. And so he calls his son Esau in, whom he loved, right? And he says, Esau, you know I love you. Uh, we have so much in common, right? We both like hunting and fishing and the outdoors, the open field. So why don't you go hunting and kill me something to eat, right? And, and Jacob hears that. Esau runs off to kill something for his father. And Jacob overhears it. Quite honestly, his mother overhears it. That's a whole other series as well. But, but he first uh, puts on Esau's dirty clothes that smell like him. And he wraps his smooth hands in some fur, right? Because uh, Esau is a manly man. He's a hobbit of a man, right? He's furry and hairy. And, and uh, by the way, this is a fun season for me as a dad uh, because I'm watching testosterone fill my boys' lives, right? And, and just to be flooded into their bodies. And it's, it's fun to watch, but it's awkward at moments to watch. And, and uh, one of my sons working out with his basketball team like they're really, really working out. And, and so all of a sudden, he's not wearing a shirt anywhere in the house ever, you know, and, and, you know, these 14-year-old boys come walking down and they're, you know, they're, they're doing this when they walk down, which is creepy. Uh, I, I, the only thing more creepier than that, and that is this thing that you see in Arkansas and Oklahoma is this, right? When, when, when you walk in, every, whatever you say when you do this, it's just creepier. And, and it plays out. But Eli, the other day, he walked down and he's like, hey, Dad, 
my, my body fat is 7%. 7%. And uh, he said, what, what do you have? I said, money. And, and, uh, but, but, but I love this, right? And it's playing out. And so Esau is this manly man. And, and he is uh, going off to hunt. And Jacob sneaks in and says, hey, it's me, Esau, right? And, and now Isaac is blind, but he's not deaf. And, and he thinks something's up. And he thinks there's something going on, but he smells Jacob. And he feels his hands. And he, he smells and feels like Esau, so it must be Esau. And that's how Jacob stole uh, Esau's blessing. So let's, let's read that part of the story in Genesis 27. In verse 27, we've, we've looked at this. We'll go a little further today and much further next week. It says, so Jacob went over and kissed him. That's where we get meaningful touch. It's important. And, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed his son and he said, that's where we get the, the verbal, the power of, of the spoken word. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors or, or, or like a field, right? Which the Lord has blessed. Do, do you know what a backhanded compliment is? Because when I read this, I see a backhanded compliment, right? It's when you compliment someone, but you're really putting them down. It would go like, wow, your acne is clearing up, right? I can almost see some clear spots. And, uh, you know, it's just a backhanded compliment. That's a backhanded compliment. Or you washed your car, it looks amazing. You should do that more than once a year. Or, uh, you know, uh, we watched your kids all day. We didn't have to call the cops once this time. There's a backhanded compliment that, that comes. And so when I read verse 27, I think it's a backhanded compliment because, ah, the smell of my son, he smells like a barn, right? And, and, and son, I'm blessing you, you smell like a barn, to which you would say, gee, thanks, Dad. But this is really not a backhanded handed compliment because Isaac loved the outdoors. And he loved that about his son Esau, and he loved that they shared that in common. And so he said to his son, I love this about you. This reminds me of you. And to affirm your child's incredible value, here's what it means. Write, write this down. Finding that thing or those things about your child that make them special. Finding that thing or those things about your child that make them special and letting them know that it makes them unique and letting them know that, that it makes them valuable and uh, finding the things that they do or, or, or the ways that they act or how they respond or how they love or how they dream or how they play, right? And showing them that this makes them unique and that you, along with God, love that about them. It's a big deal. We, we talked about this verse, this proverb in part one. I just want to recite it for you again. It's Proverbs chapter 22, uh, verse six. You saw it in the video uh, that it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And we said that phrase, in the way he should go. Train up a child in the way he should go is a very, very significant phrase because it, is, it does not mean train up that child in how they act, train up that child and how they will behave. It doesn't mean train her up and how she should respond. That's not what it means. It, it's a military term. It's an archery term. And it has to do with how a bow is made. The word is bent. In other words, train up a child according to their bent. Their God-given bent. And, and so you have to find out how your child is bent. 
by God Almighty. How were they made? And then you affirm that in them as valuable. You find out how God has made them unique and you train them in it. You are not deciding that as the parent. God decides that. And any more than you decided what you would be good at or what you would like, God does that. And then we steward it. And we affirm the value that God places on each child. And that unique thing about them, that bent, here's what it requires. It requires you to go to school on them. And there are all kinds of tools in our culture, by the way. Street Finder 2.0, that's a fun one uh, that, that I've done with my children. I, I would encourage you, one of the uh, best things I know out there is the series we did a few years ago called Wired. We, we repeated it called Super uh, Powers. And I would just encourage you to go through, go online and find that series and watch it with your kids in mind. And then give those little 10-question tests uh, through each of those seven bents in, in Romans 12 to your children and walk them through that to determine how is my child bent. Here's what we see in the story. It's clear. Isaac knew how Esau was bent. He knew what he loved. He knew what he smelled. He, he knew how much he liked hunting, what he was in, good at, what he enjoyed. He knew that about his son uh, Esau. And, and he knew that all of that made him special. And he saw incredible value in it. And here's what I want to ask you today. What makes each of your kids special? What makes that child in your life unique? And a lot of times that uniqueness is unique to them and not you. And you have to be careful when it's unique to them and it's not something that you share with them. That what is it that makes that kid special? What makes your, that kid in your life unique? What, what is it that makes uh, your mom or dad unique, right? Like, let's say you don't have children yet. What you think, look, you think through your parents and how you're different from your parents. And a lot of times that uniqueness is unique to them and not uh, to you. And it may mean that you've got to go to school on a thing or two and learn something about each of your children. It, it may be before uh, you had children, you, you dreamt of your kid uh, playing football like you played football, right? And you dreamt that they would be on the football field every Friday night like you were on the football field every Friday night. And high school rolls around for that child, and they are on the football field every Friday night. It's just at halftime, right? And, and because they weren't bent for football. They were great at marching, and they were great at making music. And, and it was, it's different, right? They're bent differently. In fact, I would say to you, for those of you here in Broken Arrow, uh, that that it's amazing to me. In 1994, I went to my first Broken Arrow Tiger football game, and I was flabbergasted that after halftime, like 5,000 people left because they were only there to see the band, right? When I was growing up, when the band performed, that's when you went and got nachos. <laughs> but, but that's not true in Broken Arrow, and the reason is is because it's the best band in all the land, right? And, and so they come to watch this band that wins these national competitions. There are teenagers in Chicago, at our Chicago campus, that, that when they found out we were in Broken Arrow, they're like, Broken Arrow? That's the pride, you know, and, and they know uh, about these musicians. And, or maybe your son turned out to be a techie, right? And the only sniff of football he'll ever get is when he designs the next Madden football game, and, and, and he creates it, which, by the way, that quarterback will work for him one day. Don't, don't speak against that because they will be the boss. And, and maybe you have a little girl. And you want her to be your little princess, and you dressed her up in fairies and, and fancy dresses, and, and you put her in ballet classes before she could ever walk. It always cracks me up, the, the moms that do that, uh, you know, because the little girl in her diaper, she walks like she's drunk anyways, and, and, and you want her to be graceful, and so you stick her in a ballet class, and, and you take her to tea rooms when she hates tea. 
And now she's older, and you've discovered she loves horses and cows and pigs, right? And she wants to be a vet, and you're not sure about that, but that's how she's bent. And so you take her out on a farm, and you let her run around with some horses. You don't buy a horse because you're smarter than that. You're smarter than that. Rule of thumb, don't ever buy anything that eats at night. It's a bad investment. And, and, and so you pay for horseback lessons. You buy her boots and a cowboy hat, and, and, and you put her in 4-H or FFA or ABCDG, whatever all those letters are, right? And she's raising pigs, and she loves it. I told you about the time that I went to the Tulsa Fair years ago. And we walked through the barns, and this guy's coming through with a lamb, the sheep. And I mean, it was as white as snow. I'd never seen a lamb that white. And they had blow-dried this, this, this sheep's hair. And they had created this Q-tip on top of its head, like this puff. And these ears were kind of hanging down. I'd never seen a lamb like that. I thought, this is the cutest thing ever. And I just grabbed it and just went, ah, oh, so cute. And just in his ears and hair. And this guy came unglued. I thought he was going to kill me, hit me with a shovel or something. And he said, I'm taking this lamb to show. And I just worked for hours. And I had just messed up his hair. I don't know. I didn't do FFH. And so one day, this girl will be a member of FarmersOnly.com. And the reason you laugh at that is because you don't understand it. But there is a niche there that is a big deal. And, and, and there are people that God wired. It, it's on TV and it works because it works. And there's a niche of people that we pay attention to. And one day uh, sh she will be a vet and she's unique and she's valuable and she's different than what you thought. And God decided that. When I was in high school, when many of you were in high school, there were only two positions in the whole high school uh, socially that mattered right? The football player and the cheerleader. But that's just not the case anymore. And I want to say to you, I like that. And I love that because it looks a little bit more like the kingdom of heaven. we got a long ways to go, but there has been progress made. And today you can be a member of the band or the glee club or the math club and chess, whatever, and you can be an artist and you can have credibility and you can have friends and you can have popularity just like the jock or the princess can on that school campus. And the kingdom of God is like that. And affirming your child's value or any child's value or any person's value for that matter, it's not about finding, listen, it's not about finding something you like and affirming that. It is about finding out what makes them them and affirming that. It is about finding out how God shaped them and loving them for that. And when we value the things in our kids that we like, we are telling them inadvertently that they have earned their value. But when we value the things that they like, even though, and especially when, we don't necessarily care for it, we're telling our kids that they are special the way they are. And we are reinforcing the goodness of the identity of Christ in and on their lives. And we end up teaching our kids to say, like the psalmist in 139, verse 14, thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. Can you say that about yourself? Thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. The declaration of every parent over each of their children is how well I know it. How well I know the workmanship and the craftsmanship of God Almighty on this child. And when we affirm our children's incredible value, we're saying you matter. 
I see a lot of great things in you. I love that about you. You are special, and this is special, and you name it. And we are to reinforce the goodness of their identity in Christ and their uniqueness. Why? Because it's so hard out there. It's so hard out there today. I, I mean, it's incredibly difficult. In fact, I would say being a, an elementary student or a, a junior high or a high school student in our culture today is like being up a river without a paddle, right? It's like being out in the ocean or, or in some body of water without an oar. And, and what we can do as parents is give them an oar. And I chose to use this acrostic today to help you remember this. Write it down, O-A-R-S, oars. And I want to walk you through four-step process of spelling it out for your children and affirming your child's incredible value. And each of the letters in oars is, is a part of the process. And so let's talk about it. O, observe it. Observe it. This is where you don't just see him or her. You observe them. This is not passive on the part of mom and dad. This is something you have to be very active in, in doing, that, that you have sometimes in their life that you are there and you are present and you are really paying attention, that you are going to school on your children, their likes and their dislikes, their bents, and, and you go back uh, to that kid that, that you wanted to be a, uh, a high school football player, a high school quarterback, and uh, one day you walk into his room after football practice where he dropped the ball 20 times, right? And you're frustrated by that, but you want to go talk to your boy about it. And you walk by the room and he's busy. And he's got two pencils and he's drumming on the desk or the dresser or the desk and the dresser and the bed, right? And, and, and because now you are observing and you're taking the time, you see something there. And observing takes paying attention and it takes being present. And it's hard to observe your kids through the screen of an of a iPhone. You have to be present in their lives in those moments in order to see what it is you're supposed to see. The A is acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. You acknowledge what you didn't see before. You acknowledge the natural ability or skill that you now see at work. You acknowledge that that bent was put there by God Almighty. You acknowledge that this is God at work in that uh, child's life. Wow, you, you're good at that, right? You're a natural at this. God did that. And when you recognize their bent or, or the makeup of God, you're ultimately acknowledging God. That's what you're doing. You're acknowledging God. Acknowledging a God-given ability requires you being in step with God as a parent. And it takes time to being tuned to what the master builder is doing in your kids' lives, right? And when you see a completed painting, uh, it's hard for you to... Uh, see every detail. In fact, it's easy for you to overlook the detail and, and the care and the uh, detail, attention to detail that the master who made that particular work uh, went through. But when you watch the painter do her thing, th then it comes out and it's more evident to you that you begin to recognize the hard work and you see the hard work and you see what God is doing in, in the process. And once you acknowledge that God is at work in each of your children, here's the really, really, really cool part you can begin to see how God might use it. 
And it's not just, hey, you might be in the band one day. It's that God could have put that talent in you to lead people in worship. Maybe he's going to put you in a worship band that will travel the globe, and you will be used by God Almighty to lead the church and the body of Christ closer to Jesus all over the world. You see what you're doing? You're pointing them back to their ultimate calling, which is to bring glory to God. Step three is this, the R, readjust it. There's always readjustments that take place in this parenting process that it takes putting those old dreams you had for for your kid on on the shelf and readjusting them to the dreams and expectations you are now seeing God demonstrate and play out in your kid's life. It is not about raising them according to your bent. It is about raising them according to their bent, not according to the desires you had long ago that went unfulfilled. This is about what God wants to do in your kid's lives. And sometimes that readjustment is required with your kids. And maybe they share a desire with you, but they just aren't talented at that desire. And I just have to tell you, I'm involved in all kinds of sports and arts and activities with children all over the city. And there are lots of activities that your children have no business doing. Let me pastor you by telling you that. It's a waste of time. And it's a waste of energy, and you are misstewarding. You're, you're not seeing, right? That, that you got to be honest with, with your children. You don't want to crush their dreams, and you don't want to crush their passions, but they just have no bent towards that. It is your job as a parent to lovingly redirect them. Affirming your child's incredible value, listen, it will not spoil them. Sometimes I hear parents say, I'm afraid to, to spoil them. You're not going to spoil them. What will spoil them is this, affirming something they're lousy at. That, that will spoil them. What will spoil them is affirming them with inauthentic words, saying you did a great job in that game when they didn't. You can applaud effort, you can applaud energy, you can applaud all the things you can applaud, but, but to not redirect them is missing part of the assignment as a parent, right, or an employer, For me, my leadership for years, it would swing between two pendulums. I would be away over here in this grace side where I would say to every employee, I love you, I care about you, I I, I love your children. I I just, it doesn't matter how you perform, I just want you to know I love you, right? Because that's grace and that's the kingdom and that's God and that's the way Jesus would do it. And and then I'll swing over here, right? Because of gross incompetency and it'll just swing to uh, here's the bar, get over it or get out. And what I want you to know is that there's a tension to be maintained as an employer between those two things. And here's what I've learned. One of the most gracious things I can do as an employer, as a supervisor, is to say, I love you, I care about you, I care about your children, I care about your family, and you stink at that. And let's get you in a place where you can thrive. Let's get you in a sweet spot. Let's put you where God may have designed you. And that may be in our organization. It may not right? That you have to be honest with people. I, I, as a pastor, I've, this is a process for me because I, I don't want to be confrontational all the time. If, it's not a good assignment for me to wear that all the time. I, I'm just like, I, hey, just make a decision and, and I'll support you. And, and I, I don't always want to wear that confidential hat, but sometimes these you know, young ministers will come in and say, hey, I think God's calling me to start a church. I'm looking at it going, oh, this is going to be a train wreck. Right? And, and you're thinking through it. And, and so I learned to start asking some questions. Did, did, tell me some things you started. And, and they didn't, ever. Like, you, no, I mean, like a lemonade stand. You started a lemonade stand or something? No, never did. Oh. Right? And, and, and I've learned now to say, hey, you do what God tells you to do. 
If God tells me to run through that wall, I'm running through that wall. And I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God. And and sometimes he gives me the obvious resources to do it, and sometimes he doesn't. But I just want to say to you as a truthful pastor and, and love you and care for you by saying, God may have called you to start a church, but from my angle, he didn't give you any of the gifts to do it with. You say, that's harsh. No, it's honest and it's truthful. And we're redirecting and we're, we're just teaching people to steward the gifts that God has put on them. And if you think, by the way, that parents don't reaffirm things that their children are lousy at, just watch American Idol. Just watch it, right? Because it's really two different shows. You got the the 10-week competition, but before that, they got the tryouts where these people stand on national television and, and they sing thinking they can sing because some parent was lousy at redirecting their kid's talent. I think how much time they wasted. This is where we got William Hung and all of that, right? Came right out of that stuff. But, but those people are singing on national TV. Did somebody never say, hey, man, you stink at this? <laughs> think of all the time they wasted because somebody reinforced a lousy trait in their life. And sometimes it's the best thing you can say as a parent is to say, hey, let's try something else. And by the way, it's not failure. That is the problem with the way we view society today, that we view that as failure. It's not failure. You are failing forward. You you are making progress. You're going in the right direction. And I want you to hear me today. If you're not willing to fail and allow your children to fail at something, they will never do anything original. They just won't. And as adults, we lose the capacity to fail, and it's not an option to fail at anything, but for children, it's an option. And we should let them fail over and over and over and over and over and over again. Part of the problem with the millennials that are coming up today is they were never allowed to fail at anything, and they get one bad mark on an employment review, and they're suicidal. That's crazy. We got to let them fail at something because failing at something means we check that off. Football's not it, or band is not it, or choir is not it. You're, you're, you're eliminating things as options, and that's progress. That's not failure. And, and I really think that God has put something special in you here. And, and let's try this for a moment, right? So you observe it, you acknowledge it, you readjust it. The fourth one is you say it. Hey, I saw you drumming after football practice. Maybe that's your thing. One of my kids, when he was two years old, we were outside shooting baskets on one of those little play school basketball things. And he looked up at me and said, that one was different, Daddy. I said, what was different? What do you mean? And he said, when the ball hit that goal, it was different. I said, I don't understand what you're saying. Two years old. And he said, that one went doom, doom, shh. Previously, it went da 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 shh. I'm like, Okay. I don't understand what you just said, right? And I should have known that when he asked for a fiddle that Christmas that that there was something God was doing, but you have to observe it, and then you say it. You say, hey, maybe this is your direction. I really think that God has put something special in you there, and we are stewarding that, right? You know, you always thought you you would be good at that, but I, I think maybe this is where we should go, and you should do this, and we should spend some time and energy here. This is about affirming that great value in them, and it is likely that they never, ever thought that you saw that in them before. And maybe they never saw it in themselves because they're living their whole lives under a false impression that all you care about is them being the starting quarterback. When honestly, you're not really given to that, but, but affirming that in them, you're affirming their identity in Jesus Christ. And when you take your child through that process of affirming their value, you free them up 
to fulfill the call of God on their lives and to live that life out fully, understanding their identity in Christ. Listen, if you don't redirect, they will end up being you. And God doesn't need another you. You need to be you. They need to be them. They need to be who God made them to be for such a time as this. And, and you, have, you, <clears throat> excuse me, you have a very active role. Those of you in Chicago and Egypt, we have something here that you don't have called ragweed. <clears throat> and uh, it's bothering me in the last few weeks. Anybody else? Their allergy is like the last couple of weeks. It's crazy. And so you have this active role in this process. You need to ask this question. Does my child know that I value them? Does my child know and are they fully aware at what makes them unique? Do they know that God has made them in a unique way? And, and that comes from them, listen, not just understanding and memorizing, but by them declaring that verse 14 in Psalm 139, that thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. That they would say that on a regular basis to their maker. Thank you for making me so complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know that. And they, they become, learn to become a student of themselves to steward what God has done in their lives. And if your kid doesn't know what makes them unique and that you value that in them, how will they ever know it? You can't wait for a teacher or a, a, a youth pastor or whatever. You've got to spend time with them, and you say it first. You say it first. And we've gotten in this habit of trying to find affirmation elsewhere. We've allowed our identities and our children's identity to be defined by what others think instead of defined by what God believes about us. We need to get back to the place where our identity is found solely in Christ, solely in Christ. And if we continue on this path of finding affirmation outside of God's design, that path leads to destruction. The quickest way for, for you to drive your children to, to destruction is to continue expect them to live up to your dreams. But, but here's the good news. You can still turn it around. And when you affirm those great qualities and that great value in them, when you affirm that they are made by God and how they are bent, when you affirm their identity in Jesus Christ, you can break the curse and turn it around. And you turn it into a path of blessing. Jacob, by the way, went on to have 12 sons of his own. And you know the story. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And so Jacob's sons became known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And you fast forward that story through Jacob's story into Joseph's story. Right, which we preached a whole series for months and months on Joseph uh, last year, that finally uh, Jacob, the daddy, is brought down to Egypt to be reunited with the son, Joseph, and all of the other 11 brothers. And the story is so very powerful, and it is so amazing. And there's this long, long poem uh, of blessing. Genesis 49 uh, is, is that chapter. You ought to go there this week. In fact, that's your homework. I want you to read Genesis 49 multiple times this week. Because in that chapter, you see Jacob blessing each of his 12 boys. And he does it uniquely each time. By praising the individual quality he sees in each of these boys. And they're all different. And he affirms the great value. And Jacob got it. And it wasn't too late. They were all adults, but it wasn't too late. And he figured this thing out. And so your homework is go read Genesis 49. And I want you to come up with a word picture blessing for each of your kids. A word picture blessing. For each of your children. And here's a few tips from Gary Smalley's book, uh, The Blessing, okay? And I'll just give them to you quickly. Write these down. Number one, use an everyday object. You've heard the saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. When it comes to a blessing, a picture is worth 10 million words. That you, you use an everyday object, right? And then secondly, you match the emotional meaning of the trait in your child that you are praising them with with that object. 
and, and you match these two together. We're going to talk about this next week. And, and, and so, uh, you, you know, they do this all through Song of Solomon, that your neck is like a tower, right? And you think, oh, that's weird. But, but it made sense in that day. There was a picture that was playing out there that, that you know, your breasts are like two baby fawns. That confused me forever. <laughs> forever. Until Catherine was little, I took her to the petting zoo, and there were two baby fawns. And what did you want to do? You wanted to touch them, Right? <laughs> And, and, and so I, I read this story and I think through it and, and, and you get it. There's an object lesson that, that plays out there, right? So you match them. Number three, number three, you point to potential. You point to potential. And next week we're going to look at this special, special, special future, right? And so I, I heard this story this week. And uh, I want you to listen. In fact, let me just ask you, how, how many of you have ever heard the name Jillian Lynn? before. Okay, I don't see any hand. One hand. Jillian Lynn grew up in the 30s, and she was a terrible student in her school. And in her school, the teachers wrote the parents and said, she has a learning disorder. And we've got a problem with this child. She can't sit still. She is fidgety. In fact, in our culture today, they would label her ADD or ADHD, right? But in the 30s, that hadn't been invented yet. It wasn't an available condition, right, in the 30s. And people weren't aware that they could have that. And so in the end, they removed her from her school. And so being removed from the school, the mother took Jillian as a 9 or 10-year-old girl to the doctor. This is 1930s. And said to the doctor, she's got a learning disorder. And they've removed her from the school because she can't sit still. And so the doctor went through this whole 30-minute interview with the mother and with the child. And as the interview goes, that she sat on her hands for the whole 30 minutes, you know, through the process and through the interview. And when the doctor finished the questioning, he looked at Jillian and said, Jillian, I've heard everything your mom has had to say and everything you've had to say. Now I need to speak to her alone for a minute. Would you just excuse us? And so he he escorts the mother out of his office. And Jillian said when he left the office, he turned the radio on his desk on and walked out the door and looked back through the window and said to the mother, "I I want you to watch this. And the little girl began to dance. And the doctor in the 30s had enough wisdom and maturity, probably because he was a believer and God was speaking through him and and, and to him. He said, Mama, I want you to watch this. She isn't sick. She's a dancer. And you need to take her to a dance school. And the doctor said she has to move to think. And she became a soloist in the Royal Ballet of London. And she graduated from the Royal Ballet and created her own school of dance. And she met a man named Andrew Lloyd Webber. And she choreographed a musical called Cats, and she choreographed another one called Phantom of the Opera, and the list goes on and on and on. And in the interview I listened to, basically the interviewer said, you've brought pleasure to millions, and by the way, now you are a multi-millionaire, and somebody in our culture would have put you on medication and told you to calm down. And I just think that the educational system in our world today is not recognizing the diversity of the gifts that God Almighty may have placed upon the children of God. 
In fact, in our education system, the ones who succeed and come out the top, and I was one of those. I, I succeeded and came out the top of that. But, but it's really designed to create college professors. That's what our system is designed to create, is those who will end up being college professors and, and would be great at it. And most of us should not be that. We're grateful for them, right? But they're different birds. And they view their whole body as just a, a transporter for their brain to take them from lecture to lecture, right? That's the only purpose of the body is to take the brain into the next lecture. And we're not all gifted like that. We're not all wired like that, that, that we've got to recognize. And I think the culture at the hands of our enemy has taught us to mine the minds of our children like we strip mine the earth for a particular commodity. And here's what we know in the future, that, that won't work. And we're preparing kids for a future that we don't understand. We don't know what the world's gonna look like five years from now, much less 18 years from now when these first graders are graduating. We don't know how to prepare them for that world. We, we've got to steward what God put in them. I've written three endings to this message this week, and this one I wrote at 5 a.m. this morning. So I hope you understand it. At the end of the day, in the story of the blessing, Isaac was convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was meant for something kingdom-sized. His daddy took him up on a hill, right, where he was willing to sacrifice his son's life. And I heard a dad tell me the story the other day that you got to be aware of where your kids are reading in the Bible. He took his you know, junior high son camping for the first time, and that's where his kid was reading in the Bible. He said, son, you want, you want to go on a hike? And he's like, nope. And he said, why? He said, Dad, I'm reading the story of Abraham and Isaac. He said, son, be quiet. Get the firewood and the knife and let's go. You know? and, and, but Isaac knew beyond a shadow of a doubt two things. He knew Daddy loves God. And he listens to God. And he also knew that he himself was a gift from God. You know the story. God provided the lamb in the thicket. But, but he knew those two things. Daddy loves God, and I am a gift from God. And a major component in the blessing of our children is giving them the value that God places on them and declaring it, it is high, it is high, it is high. Letting God be God and using our kids for his glory and his purposes. The blessing, by the way, given to Abraham. You remember part of that blessing was, and whoever blesses you will be blessed, and whoever curses you will be cursed. That blessing passed down. Generation for generation for generation in the form of a blessing. And, and what we need today is for God to say a word. We, we don't need a church to say a word. You don't need a pastor to say a word. You need God to speak a word. And he's done that, by the way, over and over and over again, that, that he spoke and, and the law was written on stone tablets. And then over words of stone, he spoke love and grace in, in the person of Jesus. And beneath that is the idea that I love you, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. What, what, what if God had withheld his love until you could meet his standard? Well, what if God did that with us? Aren't you grateful? that he doesn't, he doesn't. And I'm grateful that he doesn't. 
And I'm not trying uh, to focus my parenting on behavior because when you do that, you get it backwards and you unintentionally tell your children, I value what you do over who you are. And we can strip them of their God-given identity. My goal as a parent is not to control my children's behavior. Now, make no mistake about it. One of my goals is to have kids who behave well. But the way I want to go about that is not by controlling their behavior. My goal is to create an environment where they can experience God. Know the voice of God. Hear God speak to them. Hear God affirm in them their incredible value. Where they can learn from God. And they've been shaped by God uniquely. Where they can picture how God may want to use that in them. And the blessing puts those children in that environment. Without supernatural power and the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, we'll raise merely obedient children. Not necessarily spiritual children. Sin management and sanctification, not the same thing. They're not. I want a spiritual child. I don't want a religious one. Blessing breaks down when you feel like you have something to prove and you don't know who you are. I love the spoken word we did last week in worship where where he said it's about us learning to be true children us as adults so we learn to be true children of God and we get out of whack when when we don't know who we are to the degree that we can't bless others a lot of times because we don't understand our own identity in, in Christ and when we fail to get a picture of who God is and what he says about us then we fail to be capable of blessing the next generation and and we need to get into our hearts and into our lives that we are God's children we're not just his children we're her we're his favorites all of us that he values us, that, that we would say to our Heavenly Father, say the word. Just say the word. I, I, I need to walk on the word. Father, would you say it over me so that I can say it over my children? Would you declare it over me so that I can declare it over my children?